to the Terry and Jesse Show. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, I'd be a millionaire. Why can I say that? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. Alleluia. Happy Monday within the octave of Easter. This, the resurrection is a game changer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything. The month of April is dedicated, obviously, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to the Holy Eucharist. Remember, because on Holy Thursday, we were given the Holy Eucharist. It's also dedicated, it's devo- uh, we are also devoted to the Holy Spirit in the month of April, because we will, we will be soon be celebrating uh, the day of Pentecost. And this tradition has developed because Easter Sunday falls in April oftentimes. So in essence, April is the month of Easter. And during this Easter celebration, it's, it's so powerful. Easter's so powerful that as Catholics, we can't just celebrate it one day. It takes eight days to take it all in. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an absolute game changer. And what's, what makes Jesus Christ absolutely different from anybody else, think about this. There's no other event, no other promise, no other demonstration of power like the resurrection. <clears throat> think about Buddha. He died in 483 BC. Guess what? No resurrection for Buddha. Abraham, the father of Judaism, died in 1900 B.C. Guess what? No bodily resurrection for Abraham either. Confucius died in 478 B.C. Guess what? No bodily resurrection for Confucius. Muhammad died in 632 A.D. He's buried in Medina, Saudi Arabia. No resurrection for Muhammad. Zoroaster died in 551 B.C. No resurrection for Zoroaster. But... The Lord Jesus Christ died in 33 AD and rose from the dead. Our Lord's resurrection is far more than just a a doctrinal proposition. It's the basic pillar upon which rests the hope of all Christians. That's why St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. Close quote. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just an Easter time phenomena to be celebrated in song and service on one day. No, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us as Catholic Christians is literally the dawn of every new day of our lives and of our witness. Imagine. Notice that people, when they speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody ever says, the late, great Jesus Christ. Nope. We never speak in those terms because he's alive. And Jesus' claims to his authority and power is that he lives. And that should be burned into the soul of every Christian. The crucifixion of Christ on Good Friday demonstrates God's total love for the world. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning demonstrates God's full power. I just... uh would like to share with you today's gospel talks about the resurrection 
But before I do, I just want to invite you. I want to remind you about a father-son retreat. It's called Proper Masculine Roles, June 19th to the 24th by Father Ripperger. He also has a mother-daughter retreat, June 26th to July 1st with Father Ripperger. And then the Reclamation Theology Retreat, June 12th to June 17th with Kyle Clements and Dan Schneider. If you want more information on all these retreats by Father Ripperger and his team, uh, go to libercristo.org, libercristo.org. There is still room for you to sign up. Okay, let's read today's gospel. Once again, today's Tuesday within the octave of Easter. <clears throat> today's gospel, Monday morning, Matthew chapter 28, verse 8 to 15. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went away quickly from the tomb, fearful yet overjoyed, and ran to announce the news to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them on their way and greeted them. They approached, embraced his feet, and did him homage. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, some of the guards, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. The chief priests assembled with the elders and took counsel, then gave then they then they gave a large sum of money to the to the soldiers, telling them, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole stole him while we were asleep. And if this gets to the ears of the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has circulated among the Jews to the present day, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So let's deal with the stolen body theory that was concocted by the unbelieving Jews in today's gospel. The stolen body theory. Again, it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 15, specifically verse 11 to 15. I want you to key on what it says here. Quote, while they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. They assembled with the elders and took counsel. Then they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this gets to the ears of the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers took the money as, and, and did as they were instructed. And this story has circulated among the Jews to the present day. So, I'll tell you why the stolen body theory is a lie. Because in Matthew's gospel, it shows that this cover-up theory was a lie. St. Matthew reports that the soldiers were bribed by the Jewish priests and elders in order to keep the truth of the resurrection a secret. And the soldiers were told what to say by the Jewish priest. So, how could the soldiers know that the disciples stole the body if they were all sleeping? That's another point. Think about it. How could the soldiers know that the disciples stole the body if they were all sleeping? Here's another point. The enemies of Jesus took several steps to prevent the disciples from stealing the body. Such as the Romans, they, they put a seal, a Roman seal on the stone. And they provided a guard of soldiers to watch the tomb. Here's another point. 
The soldiers at the tomb would not go to sleep for fear of death. When, when they witnessed the empty tomb, the soldiers informed the Jewish leaders about what they had seen. And during the crucifixion of Jesus, think about this. The disciples were afraid. They were cowards. They abandoned and denied that they even knew Jesus. The apostles, they, they heard Jesus say he would rise from the dead, but they really didn't believe that he would rise from the dead. Do you actually believe that these scared men, these cowardly men hiding in Jerusalem would have the courage to pass by Roman guards at, the, at, the, at, at nighttime guarding the tomb of Jesus? And do you believe that they could silently move a large stone that weighed about 2,000 pounds, rob Jesus' body, and then leave undetected? That's crazy. The stolen body theory is a myth. The fact is, is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead as he said he would. And Jesus Christ proved that he's the son of God by the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it separates the men from the boys. Imagine the shock. The tomb was found empty, that the roll stoned away. And, and, and the women that first saw this, and an angel told them that he's alive. Jesus Christ is alive. And this is what changed the entire world. My name is Jesse Romero. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Happy Monday within the octave of Easter. I just want to switch gears and just mention something real quick that was sent to me. Somebody sent me, Jesse, I, I recently, I saw a highly offensive post on Facebook that said the F word to God and all his followers. I reported it to Facebook and they responded that the post doesn't violate their standards. So I'm sending this to you so you can share it with the people that uh, Facebook's double standards on hate speech on hate speech and their approval of apparently cursing God. And so the the, uh, the person attached the offensive Facebook post, I'm not on Facebook, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at the Facebook post, the screenshot. It says, if your God thinks that a 13-year-old girl should have to carry her incestuous rapist baby to term, then then blank your God with the F word and blank you for worshiping him. Yep, that's Facebook, double standard. Facebook does not consider saying the F word to God. Hate speech. But uh, yeah, you can have terrorists there and communists there on Facebook. Not a problem. Terry and Jesse show, we're going to talk about metaverse. What is the metaverse? Beware, Christians. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Christians, beware of the metaverse. So what is the metaverse? 
It's here's an article written by David Larson, just essentially warning us about the metaverse. Again, anything that Zuckerberg's involved in, I, I'm always uh, obviously I'm, I'm very leery of anything that he's involved in because it seems to be that he doesn't have our best interests. I'm just wondering if you would agree. Zuckerberg doesn't seem to have our best interest at hand. So, the metaverse, <clears throat> I'll try my best to temper my tech-skeptic instincts, but despite these efforts, I can't help but consider all the worst possibilities of the coming metaverse by Zuckerberg. In fact, the more I read about it, the more I think Christians should start preparing for it now before we, before we, along with our family and friends, are pulled into a life far from the one God created us. For those that are unaware of this metaverse, here are just a couple of recent updates. Okay, A few weeks ago, Facebook announced plans to change its name to Meta and rebrand itself as a metaverse company rather than a social media company. Does that concern you? Betting its future on the importance of this development, Facebook slash Meta has also announced it is hiring 10,000 people in Europe alone to advance this project. And Epic Games announced they're putting $1 billion towards building the Metaverse. So what exactly is this Metaverse? In short, it will be the new version of the Internet. Experts say... It will not exactly replace the Internet. It will just absorb the Internet and take it to the next level. It's like the Internet 3.0, according to Ronk Babajidi, uh, who writes on a magazine called Medium. Virtual reality, virtual reality and augmented reality will fully integrate with the world around us. So uh, they say we won't need to look down at screens all the time. That part actually sounds pretty nice. If a friend wants to speak with us, we won't have to read a text or an email or speak on the phone. A digital version of them, like a Princess Leia hologram in Star Wars, will emerge and simply tell you the message they want to deliver to you. If you're hungry, maybe a character from your favorite show, whatever those will look like, would pop up and suggest you get something from the new restaurant down the street. To navigate this world, each person will, will apparently need an avatar, a kind of digital, digital representation of himself. If you think the world has gone crazy with navel-gazing, millennials self-actualizing by identifying as whatever feels right at the moment, wait until turning from a man to a woman or a man to a rabbit just takes a click of a button rather than surgery and hormones. This description is from the October 22nd Vanity Fair piece titled, The Metaverse is About to Change Everything. Here's what it says. You could imagine wearing your digital avatar out in the real world where other people who are wearing headsets see an augmented version of their reality including you dressed up as your digital avatar, which could also char change based on who is looking at you. Maybe you come across as a three-headed puppy with multicolored pigtails to your kids, 
but a professional in a suit to your coworkers. In this scenario, you could play a game of Pac-Man in the real world, running around trying to capture virtual coins that no one else can see, or evading multicolored ghosts who want to eat you alive. You could sit in a coffee shop in New York while a friend sits in a coffee shop in Paris, France, and both of you have a real coffee together, even though you're not in the same place. This is what the metaverse glasses provide. The way you will be fed these images, sounds, and other input will, at least initially, be through headsets and glasses. Ray-Ban, in partnership with Facebook, has created stories, a line of glasses that look just like the traditional lines, but can do many of the things your smartphone allows you to do, like take videos, talk on the phone, listen to music, and post things to social media. Look at what Mark Zuckerberg, he describes Ray-Ban stories here. Zuckerberg is making these glasses along with a program for business meetings called Horizon Workrooms. If you think Zoom meets virtual reality, you ain't seen nothing yet as early efforts to contribute to this infrastructure. While there's a lot of other work for the metaverse, it's, it's already been done by video game companies like, for example, like Epic Games or Babajidi says, the metaverse won't be a game world. It'll never, it'll never reset or pause or end. It'll go on indefinitely like the real world. It'll be synchronized with our real world and there will be no limit to the users of this digital world. Wow. This, this world of fantasy is never going to end. This is what Zuckerberg said in his comments about the Ray-Ban stories. He says, you don't have to choose between being on your device or being fully present. We believe this is an important step on the road to developing the ultimate augmented reality glasses. Imagine seeing holograms, turn-by-turn directions, or being able to play chess on a table in front of you and your loved ones 3,000 miles away, right from your glasses. As a chess player... And for so many other realms of life, this sounds amazing. But my problem, or if I'm honest, or, or if I'm honest, one of many, is the first part about not having to decide whether to use your device or not, because it'll just be part of your continuous experience. At least with our current form of the internet, by choosing to look down at my screen, I'm aware that the world on the screen and the world outside of the screen are two different realms. And some people may be addicted to their screens so the choice isn't fully voluntary. And other people may trust what they see on the screens too much so it twists how they see the real world. But there's at least this choice and separation with the Internet. But what happens when there's no choice to pull a device out of your pocket and look at that physical item? What if this mediated experience is fully immersive and never pauses or ends. Well, we should certainly make sure we trust whomever, whomever gives us power over our reality do. This is the power to edit our perceptions and therefore thoughts in real time. Maybe it's not always on an important subject. For example, if I run out of ice cream, an advertiser could almost certainly be given some kind of access to that moment in order to sell me more ice cream. A cow could perhaps appear and ask if I want more bluebell chocolate chip you know, cookie dough. If I were a beast, 
maybe my doctor or the Department of Health and Human Services would get to chime in too. It's certainly invasive, but not entirely dystopian. But on more serious topics like voting and the moral and religious values we live by, how would the metaverse augment our experiences? At the moment, Facebook, Google, Amazon, and the rest already edit which, which viewpoints are presented to us and in what way. I'm highly skeptical that they would cease doing so once the internet becomes metaverse. They would almost certainly continue to tell us which opinions are to be mocked and despised and which are to be approved and celebrated. The ways they would do this in a metaverse in a metaverse would be much more subtle than the warnings we see on unapproved Facebook posts that get fact-checked or marked as misinformation. No. If somebody told us about Jesus or the importance of the nuclear family or anything else unapproved, the metaverse would have a, a vast palette of distractions to throw in the way. Maybe a pretty woman would enter the digital room and give the young man attention. Maybe his favorite comedian would pop up with a new joke. And we don't have to wonder about what kind of values this metaverse would, would want to reign supreme. The very nature of the, of the thing of the metaverse reveals them. The medium is the message. As Marshall McLuhan once said, and this medium needs people who are above, el who above all else, individuals, for these extremely customized worlds to work with products, experiences, and interactions designed precisely for that person and their self-actualizing desires. Any obstacles to expressive individualism must be cleared from the field. Do you think the metaverse would see a tight-knit family as helping or hindering this work? True friendship, religion, community? Even if the developers of the metaverse initially claim they can enhance these elements of life, the nature of a reality where each individual is God of their own universe is, or their own custom universe is inherently destructive to the true purpose of those individuals who are not created to be God, but to serve God. Our second highest obligation after love of God is love, love to our spouse, children, friends, and community. A world that sidelines the centrality of these relationships by filtering them through avatars, glasses, marketing, and superficial dopamine chasing would very likely lead to a C.S. Lewis called the abolition of man. People who are no longer human. And if Christians want to continue to live in, in the world that God created and do the work that he sent us to do, we must consider the risk in handing over the reins of our daily experiences to these forces that are being built by Mark Zuckerberg. These are the same forces that are too strong for most people's wills to resist, like opioid or meth addictions. Think about it. The old internet has been able to create multiple near-irresistible forces, social media, streaming pornography, video games, etc. Can you imagine an enhanced, immersive, super-internet? 
it would undoubtedly have the power to absorb entire lives into a world of distractions that people will not be strong enough to pull away from. Because the metaverse is going to appeal to our emotions. And guess what? Demons have access to our emotions. Demons have access to our emotions. Think about, think about this. Think about what the updated version of pornography would be like if the consumer is fully immersed in an experience that's not distinguishable from reality. Think of that danger. My name is Jesse Romero. You're listening to the Dairy and Jesse Show. I'm talking about the metaverse, the dangers of Mark Zuckerberg's new toy. More experiments. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. I'll tell you the dangers of the metaverse that Mark Zuckerberg wants to unleash upon the world. The thing, the thing is, is that if Christians want to continue to live in a world created and do the work that God sent us to do, we must consider the risk in handing over the reins of our daily experiences to these forces being concocted by Mark Zuckerberg called the metaverse. There are some forces that are too strong for most people's wills to resist. Again, like I said, like opioid or meth addictions. I mean, the old internet is already powerful enough. You know, the social media on the internet, the, the, the pornography streaming, the video gaming... But think about what an updated version of pornography would be like on the metaverse. The consumer is going to be fully immersed. He's not going to be able to distinguish reality from fiction. Think about what this updated version of video gaming would be like. With adventures far surpassing any previous generation's imagination that you could disappear into for days. And think about what social media would mean if you could just enter into each other's posts as they travel to Portugal or snorkel in the Bahamas or attend a concert. Before the metaverse fully emerges, likely in the next decade, some serious prayerful discernment is necessary on whether or to what degree we as Christians should enter it. Because while we may gain an endlessly fascinating digital world, we could also lose our very souls. Remember, demons traffic in the senses. Demons traffic in our senses. As St. John Vianney said, we must watch our, over our mind, our hearts, and our senses. For these are the gates by which the devil enters in. And once the devil enters into our, through our senses, guess what? The demon has a constant running commentary inside the head of the person who's diabolically afflicted. If you search for and listen or read Jeffrey Dahmer, who killed 17 people, serial killer, who's, who's dead now, received the death penalty. If you read or listen to his, his Jeffrey Dahmer's interviews, 
he mentioned about something that came through his television. There was a brief mention of an infamous an infamous horror film. Uh, the fact is, it's a fact that evil spirits and their human agents do transmit all sorts of messages through films and characters depicted by scriptwriters in many films on the preternatural, and they're pro- and they're propagated under the direction of evil spirits. In efforts to make things realistic, many film scriptwriters, and I'm sure those from the metaverse, they also consult and or revise actual spells from, from the real book of magic spells and incantations, but depict those on-screen actions as fiction. And I'm sure they're going to be using the same, the same thing for this metaverse these occultists that are behind these programs. One result is that actors and actresses in those films get affected. If you track the aftermath of those actresses from the film The Craft and other films on the preternatural, you'll also see celebrity ghost stories showcase actors and actresses who narrate their close encounters with spirits of all kinds. People need to be warned more often so that they can sit up and take notice about unspoken facts. And too often people dismiss films and they're going to dismiss this metaverse as possible sources of diabolical influence. The metaverse has the ability to create mass psychosis. That's severe mental disorders and emotional and emotional disorder on a mass scale. That's what it has the possibility of doing. And this is something that as Catholics, we also have to realize that they're targeting our children. Because the metaverse, the metaverse apps, it's going to allow children access to enter digital sex clubs. That's right. There was a researcher who went undercover in the metaverse as a 13-year-old girl and she witnessed this this researcher witnessed grooming graphic sexual material and threats of rape the researcher the bbc reported used an app with a minimum age rating of 13 and visited a virtual reality sex club where other users other avatars were simulating explicit acts the researcher whose online presence depicted that that you know said that he was a 15-year-old girl was shown sex toys and condoms and approached by several adult men. One man told the researcher that in the metaverse users can get naked and do unspeakable things. Other users approached the researcher while in the metaverse and discussed erotic role playing. The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, dedicated to the welfare of children, warned that some of the apps in the metaverse are dangerous by design as there is very little content moderation in the metaverse. For instance, the app used by the researcher to access the metaverse, VRChat, allows its users to access 
any number of immersive chat rooms. Some of these rooms are as innocuous as digital McDonald's, while others allow users to watch and participate in pole dancing or even attend digitally immersive strict clubs. It's uh, the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children in Great Britain said it's children being exposed to entirely inappropriate, really incredibly harmful experiences. This is a product that is dangerous by design, the metaverse, because of oversight and neglect. We are seeing products rolled out without any suggestion that safety has been considered. And Jess Sherwood, a researcher who went undercover as well, he said this, I was surprised how totally immersed in the spaces you are. I started to feel like a child again. So when grown men were asking why I wasn't in school and encouraging me to engage in VR sex acts, it felt all the more disturbing, close quote. Another undercover researcher said, the VR chat definitely felt more like an adult playground than a child's. A lot of rooms were overtly sexualized in pink neon, similar to what you might see in the red light district in Amsterdam or in the more seedy parts of London's Soho at night. Instead, sex toys were on display. And Catherine Allen, founder of a UK-based augmented and digital reality consulting firm, said that while VR can be fun and surreal, it also tends to be quite dramatic, traumatic and disturbing. She described an incident in a meta-owned app where she and a seven-year-old girl were surrounded by a group of men who joked about raping them. VR Chat said that it was working hard to make itself a safe and welcoming place for everyone and that predatory and toxic behavior has no place on the platform. Yeah, I believe them. I, 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 yeah, I believe them as far as I can spit. This is another tool in the culture of death. And this is something that is going to make, again, the job of mom and dad. The job of mom and dad is going to be more challenging. But guess what? Don't be afraid. Because if God has allowed this to happen, God will give us the grace to fight against it. God will give us the grace. God will give us the grace to overcome these temptations. That's the promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God's grace is sufficient. Yes, we got challenges with the culture of death. But God's grace is all that we need. The metaverse is going to be a communication device where people are going to be entering into these virtual worlds. And it seems like if it's real. It actually seems like if it's real. The metaverse reminds me of Plato's cave. Plato's cave is a powerful metaphor that one can argue foreshadows foreshadows modern day television or modern day metaverse. Plato sets up this scenario in book seven of his book, The Republic. There's men in a cave chained up looking at shadows on a wall illuminated by fire and puppets behind them. This speaks directly of the human experience, of the American experience today. People, myself excluded, behave oftentimes oftentimes like mind-numb robots 
and we look at shadows and illusions of reality, of purported reality through the television. Same thing's going to happen with the metaverse, even far worse. Uh, modern man seems to be far worse than men in Plato's cave since they were f- they were chained and forced to look at shadows while we look at TVs, monitors, and the metaverse through our own free will, through our own volition. I think Plato was God's pre-biblical instrument to warn us of the potential evil of television, the internet, and metaverse. And the fire in his cave, in Plato's cave, is a symbol of Christ, the light of the world. And the shadows are a symbol of this transitory world, this world of illusions. We as believers should keep our face to the sun, S-O-N, who's risen from the dead, and not concentrate on life's shadows. I can only imagine the pathetic sights and consequences that unrestricted, unmonitored, uncensored metaverse is going to level upon our societies. Remember, we become what we experience through our senses and demons traffic in our senses. We'll be right back. I want to talk about the four types of pride and how to root them out. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Of the seven deadly sins, the the one that's the most insidious is the sin of pride. The sin of pride is the most dangerous sin. It's known as the chief of the deadly sins, and it's, it's the root of all the other sins as well. Because pride is defined as an excessive love of self. Guess what? Guilty. Right here. Okay? Pride, by the way, was Satan's downfall when he told God, non And the first sin of mankind through disobedience in the garden was pride. Pride disrupts the supernatural order by placing an individual, a fallible person's judgment and will above that of God, Essentially, pride constitutes an idolatry of self. We typically think of pride as the caricature of the braggadocious snob, but there are many nuanced ways in which we commit sins of pride by making idols out of ourselves. And in the most basic sense, every sin is ultimately sin of pride because it represents a turning away from God's will to serve our own will. Father James McElhone identifies four discernible types of pride in his particular masterpiece. It's called Rooting Out Hidden Faults. So the first example of pride is called the pride of superiority or the pride of authority. This is the typical narcissistic, angry, entitled type of pride Father McElhone notes that pride of authority is manifested by an overbearing, critical, argumentative attitude. He says pride of authority is mean, it's unkind, disregarding justice and fair play. The pridefully superior will often seek to control others and gain outward markers of power and status. So to determine whether pride of superiority 
has any hold in your soul, ask yourself the following questions. Do I hold myself above others? Ask yourself, do I have a superior attitude? Ask yourself, am I prone to belittle others? Ask yourself, am I inclined to be bossy? Ask yourself, do I speak ill of others? Ask yourself, do I insist on having the last word? Ask yourself, do I have an irritable disposition? Hmm. Guilty at several, on several levels. The second type of pride, the priest says, is the pride of timidity. It's a, tel- it's a type of self-love that ironically manifests as self-hatred. The timidly prideful live in fear of what others may think about them. While it may seem to be the opposite of pride, pride of timidity is a- and actually an inverted form of pride because it's still motivated by disordered self love and the key error for those with this kind of pride is an overvaluing of human respect that is the opinion of others over the opinion of god that describes many of our politicians they care more about what their fellow liberal politicians think about than they think about what what god thinks that's called the pride of timidity and for those plagued by these feelings a diagnosis of pride may come as a shock but truly but truly is freeing because it can be rooted out through restoring a healthy sense of self and relationship to God. To identify this type of pride of timidity, ask yourself the following questions. Am I easily embarrassed? Ask yourself, am I self-conscious? Ask yourself, do I compare my talents with those of others? Ask yourself, do I exaggerate my weaknesses? Ask yourself, Do I hide my talents? Ask yourself, am I so afraid of mistakes as to not try at all? Ask yourself, do I stay with the crowd, be it right or wrong? The third type of pride that human beings wrestle with is called the pride of sensitivity. This is another type of inverted pride that is quite similar to pride of timidity and results from self-love being wounded. Father Mikhail Hahn observes, he says, quote, He makes himself feel bad. He wants to feel bad. He gets a false joy out of it. Close quote. Let me remind you of St. Jane Francis de Chantel's admonition when she said, quote, Must you continue to be your own cross, no matter which way God leads you? You change everything into bitterness by constantly brooding over everything For the love of God, replace all this self-scrutiny with a pure and simple glance at God's goodness. Close quote. To root out this type of pride, the pride of sensitivity, ask yourself the following questions. Am I distrustful? Ask yourself, am I ready to accuse others of being unjust or unfair to me? Ask yourself, do I misjudge or misinterpret others? Ask yourself, Am I unable to laugh at myself? Ask yourself, am I moody? Do I brood about things? Ask yourself, do I carry grudges? The fourth type of pride is called the pride of complacency or vanity. Like the pride of timidity, the pride of vanity is characterized 
by an excessive desire to gain human respect. Vanity is characterized by an excessive desire to gain human respect. But like pride of superiority, it is outward-facing and arrogant. The vain seek to impress others and to be constantly held in high esteem. They are prone to show off, performing, and are often found in positions of influence where they can, where they can maximize attention and self-aggrandizement. To recognize vanity, ask yourself, am I vain about my talents, my status, my looks? Ask yourself, am I anxious to surpass others? Ask yourself, do I spend lots of time showing off on social media? Hmm. Ask yourself, do I place high value on social media, follows, likes, and attention? Ask yourself, do I exclude others for their lack of status? Ask yourself, do I give God due credit for my gifts and abilities? Humility is the antidote to pride. I'm going to say it again. Humility is the antidote to pride. Humility is truth about oneself. It is therefore the universal antidote to all forms of pride. Humility is, simple, is simply honesty about our true destiny as beloved children of God. The humble neither overestimate nor underestimate their own talents and faults, but honestly acknowledge and repent of sins and defects and likewise make use of their talents to give glory to God. By praying for and practicing humility, we can combat sin at its source. Jesus himself is our ultimate model in humility, and we are given many brilliant examples in the humility of the saints. I get it. Introspection can be painful. We gain edifying graces by pursuing a greater understanding of our own soul. As we grow in spiritual maturity, we should seek not only to avoid mortal sin, but to root out the tendencies towards sin. That means even fighting against the tendencies towards venial sin. By recognizing these sneaky manifestations of pride, we can overcome spiritual barriers and approach a more profound intimacy with God. There is a set of prayers called the Litany of Humility. The Litany of Humility. Powerful prayers. I do them on Friday during the Auxilium Christianorum prayers, which are assigned every single Friday. Humility, St. Therese said, humility basically means to walk in the truth. Humility, St. Teresa of Avila said, humility means to walk in the truth. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it says, it says, when pride comes, disgrace comes, but with the humble is wisdom, close quote. St. Vincent de Paul said the most powerful weapon to conquer the devil is humility for, as he does not know at all how to employ it, neither does he know how to defend himself from it. Close quote. Humility. The one virtue that underlies 
every other virtue and conquers Satan's pride. Fasting defeats the devil because it teaches it teaches us how to rely on God and control our passions and emotions. So when you put when you put humility and fasting together, these are two great weapons against Satan in the spiritual battle we face. Our blessed Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29, he says, "Learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart. Learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart." Remember, humility is the power of the saints. Humility should be the virtue that we all aspire to. That's a wrap. My name is Jesse Romero. You've been listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Happy Monday within the octave of Easter. Yes, happy Monday within the octave of Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a game changer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful that we as Catholics have to celebrate it for eight days to take it all in. Everything that that implies. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is literally the warp and woof of Christianity. My brothers and sisters in Christ, remember the, the cry of those crusaders back in the Middle Ages. Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. Or as the crusaders would say, Christus vincit, Christus reinat, Christus imperat. Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. See you tomorrow, same time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.